podcast series. This is episode 99. My name is Ricky Thurman and I'm your host for the next hour. Mentally Sound is a mental health and mental well-being show. The idea is that myself and my guests talk candidly and at substance on everything to do with mental health. So on that basis, as a disclaimer, we strongly advise you go see your GP, nearest therapist or crisis centre if you find the topics of our discussions distressing for you. A reminder that Mentally Sound is a podcast, formerly a live radio show that pre-existed the pandemic and lockdown, so we've adapted to podcast medium for the meantime post-lockdown. If you're listening to us on Spice FM, Newcastle's brilliant community radio station from the heart of the West End, you can tune in via 98.8 FM or online via the website at spicefm.co.uk and we're on air on Tuesday afternoons at 1 o'clock and on Saturday afternoons at 3 o'clock and we're also on DAB Radio. If you'd like to get in touch, perhaps be signposted to a guest or seek advice from our therapist, you can email us at mentallysound at spicefm.co.uk or get in touch via our social media where we have links to all our shows as well. On Twitter, we're at underscore mentallysound. On Instagram, we're at mentallysoundradio. And on Facebook, we're at mentallysoundradio show, radio show being in brackets. And on our Facebook header page, you'll find the links to an archives to all our previous podcasts with all the relevant topics listed underneath. We're also on the relevant podcast platforms. Look at Mentally Sound on Clips, spelled C-L-Y-P, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Anchor. And on our show this week, well, it's a World Mental Health Day special. And we literally are talking about world issues as well, in effect. First of all, Ways to Wellness, a group that was formerly in the West End. Uh, Rosie and Simon are here to talk about social prescribing, which I find is one of the most brilliant sort of new trendy issues to come within well-being. We'll be talking all things to do with that. And from Asylum Matters, we have Jen. And from West End Refugee Service, we have Sadia, Bushy, Garda, Jibreen. And they'll be telling us about their experiences as we talk about the mental health and rights of refugees and asylum seekers. So hope you enjoy the show. It's a World Mental Health Day special. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy. Mentally Sounds podcast series, or episode 99, possibly 100. Let's wait and see how the edit goes. I'm in the same venue, Tyneside Cinema Cafe, and I have some great guests joining me. I have with me Simon, and I have with me Rosie. And how this came about was because, well, a couple of reasons recently. Firstly of all, I was at a future the NHS meeting at the University Helix building, where I met a Dr. Pilkington, who was a Curtis Park GP and he's also involved with who our guests are involved with as well Ways to Wellness got to chat to him afterwards and he said yeah get in touch I'm sure we can collaborate some more and recently with Spice FM's 15th birthday I got in touch with Ways to Wellness because I believe that what I'm a big fan of and what we're going to talk about predominantly about 
in this podcast is social prescribing. And here we are. So welcome, Simon. Welcome, Hello. Rosie. How are you both? Simon, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you very much. I'm well, it's nice to be here. Brilliant. Thank you for coming. Rosie, yourself? I'm great, thank you, yeah. And thanks to Rosie for helping to to make this podcast happen, because it was you you I was conversing with, so very happy to be with both of you. So first of all, just as a reminder to the listeners, uh, we did a bumper show going back a few years, but uh, we had Ways to Wellness come on the show, and I didn't know what the conversation was going to be about, really, but... They introduced this recent, how would you call it? I think of it as a bit of a phenomenon, but um, some people might use other terminologies. But when I heard about first heard about social prescribing, what it was about, it, it really excites, excited me, and it still excites me still. Because in this whole era of when we talk about mental health and part of the stigma, you know, the whole pill pop, popping aspect of it, as with these podcasts and radio shows, we've learned that there's other things that goes on within well-being, how other things can aid well-being, not just the, the medicine factor. And here's, we're going to explore that now in our, in our conversation. So, Simon, first of all, I think there's an icebreaker. Do you want to remind listeners what Ways to Wellness is and where you guys are situated now and how you guys operate? And... Yep, so uh, Ways to Wellness is a charity. Uh, we're based in Newcastle, uh, yes. but we have projects working across the northeast and North Cumbria. Um, formerly the West End now. But formerly the West End, absolutely. Which is, uh, was this a year in more glamorous places now? Uh, down by more, the riverside? Yeah, down by the riverside. But only nice a, views. A nice stone, <laughs> a stone throw away, really, because yeah, we're not that absolutely, far. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And uh, we were set up in 2015 yeah. um, to deliver a project um, based uh, called Social Prescribing. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the idea behind Social Prescribing is that um, there are many things that affect people's health and well-being. Um, uh, it might be housing, money issues, yeah. relationships, um, all kinds of things. They might feel socially isolated, and this can all have an impact on your health and your well-being. And um, social prescribing allows um, uh, pra- uh, GPs and other medical practitioners to get uh, uh, to refer their patients to a link worker who can then support them with those non-medical issues that Mm -hmm. might be affecting their health, help them to engage with local community groups, um, other support that's available to them. And that's what we were set up to do originally in the West End of Newcastle. So in a way, social prescribing was your launch pad to work with it? Absolutely, yes. Yes, and uh, and now we, we have... We continue to work in the West End of Newcastle and other parts of Newcastle as well, and also have other projects now supporting people in a similar way, non-medical issues, um, uh, affecting their health and well-being, but in a number of other kind of settings. Fantastic, Rosie, welcome. Hi. Um, could you delve a little bit more in insight into the impact of what social prescribing has had on some of the clientele that you work with, some of the successes maybe? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a link worker yeah. and I work uh, on a couple of projects. I'm working with people on waiting lists for okay. hip or, or knee surgery. Yeah. Um, and so following uh, a referral mm. from, from the hospital, which is where the project yeah. uh, works with, we meet up with the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, we might sit and chat for a couple of hours and, and the beauty really and, and the difference is the, the patient is setting the agenda yeah. as such so it really becomes about what matters most to them and we have the, the time and the capacity 
to to understand their needs yes. and be able to see really suitable um, interventions mm-hmm. that will support them, yeah. um, be that on a, on a physical level yeah. or on a mental level. I was just going to say it because when you mentioned sort of the, the hip surgery thing, so we're talking about physical health as well, how, how um, social prescribing would be beneficial in that respect as well. But would it be fair to say that whenever someone is facing surgery, they go through a bit of a mental cycle? So they need that addressing as well, so social prescribing can benefit that as well. I mean, chronic pain can really yeah, affect yeah, your mental definitely. health. You know, it can trigger anxiety and depression too. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're kind of facing a lot of um, a lot of issues over quite a long period of time with a lot of patients. And sometimes those conditions become quite set in that they almost accept them as how life is, which doesn't have to be the case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Before I ask you, Simon, regarding the origins of social prescribing, because I know that it almost feels like a bit of a hidden treasure that you're about to reveal, because we talked about that before I hit the record button, maybe talk, maybe give a couple of examples of how, in respect to people's anonymity, some of the things that you've seen in people, how social prescribers has benefited them. Could, is there a couple of examples that come to mind, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So to take a couple of um, mm-hmm. people that I've been, yeah, fortunate enough to speak to, I suppose. Yeah. Um, um, for example, there was one client that we dealt with a few years ago. Um, she had diabetes right. and was struggling to control her diabetes. Yes. She was going through a tough time personally as well. Yes. And um, on, uh, she was uh, her GP um, referred her to a link worker right. um, through Ways to Wellness, yes. and um, we supported her with things like thinking about diet yes. and um, how to how to improve her right. diet and mm-hmm. skills and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm pleased to say that um, she's uh, it really did make an enormous difference to her, um, and she's now in the process of setting up a cafe in the centre oh, wow. of Newcastle that's going to be providing healthy food wow. for people and things. So she's um, she's come a long way and it's lovely to see that kind of Is program. it fair to say that that was a, an example of a trajectory that you probably didn't expect and then when it happened it was like, Absolutely, wow. yeah. yeah. Fantastic. I mean, wow, isn't it great to yeah, hear yeah. something, such a, such a transformation. And another uh, example that springs to mind is um, a, a lovely lady who we supported who was um, struggling with chronic pain. Okay. And um, really, uh, really having difficulty, um, again, just dealing with that mentally, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with the, yeah. um, with the day-to-day um, issues that that was causing yeah. for her. And again, referred to a link worker. The link worker provided uh, a, a support for her. Yeah. And she's gone on to set up uh, a local group that supports other people with okay. chronic pain. Okay. So these people come together, and they support each other, they, wow. they organise groups together. So it's effectively the, a, a peer support group peer support evolved from... Exactly, exactly. right. Wow. It, from somebody who's, who was, um, you know, was struggling a great yeah. deal with her, her pain, now going on to help other people, as well as I'm sure herself. But, but providing yeah. that kind of support network. It's and I think it's, I think it's such a lovely example of... Yeah. Um, how people can um, yeah. yeah make a difference. Fantastic. Before I ask you, Simon, about the the origins of social prescribing, I just want to turn to you, Rosie. Maybe talk a little bit more about how link workers operate. How you is it a case where you meet the client and where where they might be based, or is there a group of you and 
is it all relative to the person that you work with? How, how do link workers sort of work in this um, again, it's it's really led by the, the people that we're working with, by the patient. Yeah. It might be that we go to their home if, if they're facing mobility issues. Housebound stuff. Yeah, yeah, or maybe we meet up in a local cafe or community centre that they're familiar with. Somewhere yeah. they feel safe and comfortable, really, right. to talk to us. Yeah. So those for people who might not be able to come to your centre, for example, you're willing to expand and and be sort of flexible to meet people out there. Yeah, that's yeah. Really good, yeah. yeah how many how many link workers do you have? Wellness, just approximately. Oh, Ooh, we have a, we have quite quite a few. <laughs> so we've got a number of different projects right. going on. Um, we've got um, the long term conditions supporting people long term conditions in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. um, oh, how many link workers for that? Maybe ten or a dozen, oh, maybe wow. more actually. Um, uh, we've then got uh, a couple of link workers in the Great North Children's Hospital now supporting families there yeah. uh, we've got Rosie and her colleague Thomas supporting mm -hmm. uh, people uh, on the waiting list for hip and knee operations mm -hmm. and we've also got some uh, based in other parts of the region yeah. uh, for another project around maternal mental health okay. so we've got quite a few in different places different circumstances mm. so you gone. collaborate quite healthily in terms with the NHS so the example you talk yeah. about surgery and if someone was to say to a doctor, say, I'm a bit of in a turmoil here, so they might suggest ways to wellness to come to and maybe... Well, yeah, I mean, a good example of it would be the uh, Great North Children's Hospital okay. project. So we were actually approached by um, a consultant who supports children right. with neurodiversity. Yeah. Um, and uh, her husband is a GP, mm -hmm. and her husband had mentioned these fabulous link workers that mm -hmm. were available to that yeah. he could refer his patients to and she thought to herself well that's what I need for my patients awesome. um, and she approached us she approached our, uh, a member of our board and we yeah. were able to work with her then to basically turn that into a reality we helped her to put the project yeah. together and employ the link workers okay. so it's great to see you've got yeah. these kind of medical practitioners yeah. understanding this yeah. incredible value of yeah. supporting people with those non-medical issues again um, I'm really desperate to ask you about the origins, <laughs> but just another kind of question spring to mind. Is it fair to say that, given that, that you have to sort of move premises bigger, is it is it fair comment to say that through the success of social prescribing, that that enabled you to move and have bigger space and have the capacity to, to work with such demand? Is that a fair comment, Rosie? I think it's fair to say that um, we're kind of identifying lots of different areas in which social prescribing can work. Yeah. And with that, there's, there's growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's huge, so social wow. prescribing yeah. at the minute. Well, given the examples you've given, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a non-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go to that question then, because, again, it was a conversation I had with some of your previous colleagues, and I was really excited about it, but... How did this become a thing? How how did it ever how did it evolve? I mean, because to me it, it, it it's such a. I think even before I heard the word of social prescribing, I would still ask peers and friends of mine, well, what get, what gets th you through what you do? For example, you know, I, I I've just chatted to people involved with West End Refugee Service. For example, a person you met said that music and playing his mm. guitar did, does loads for him. So that to me felt okay, well, that's what gets them, but is it fair to bracket that as social prescribing as well, or is it...? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, this is the thing, as Rosie was saying, it's about finding the thing that mm. matters to that individual. Mm. It might be music, or exercise, or food, okay. or art, whatever it might be. Yeah. And it's about helping to connect those mm -hmm. people to 
to those mm-hmm. to, to groups and services yeah. that might help them to, to make the most of that. Right. Yeah. So how, how did it how did that terminology evolve then evolve in the beginning then? Well I think I think a number of different people were involved in it, but okay. I think this is the moment to name check Professor Chris Drinkwater. Okay. Yeah. So Chris Drinkwater uh, set up Waste Wellness. He was okay. actually a GP right. originally in the West End of Newcastle. Wow. Okay. Um, and he was one of the first people to kind of explore this idea, as right. I understand it anyway. So he Are you saying that the, the origins of social prescribing well, comes from the West End of Newcastle? Then? I think the way it was described to me was okay. that there are a number no, of I, people... No, I'm buying that it, I'm buying there. it. I'm, I'm going to end okay. it here, yeah. In which case, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think there were a number of people that were involved, but certainly yeah. Chris Drinkwater can lay claim, I believe, to, to some of the yeah. initial research that kind of looked into this. Or maybe it was something that was already happening, it just needed the, the word to, well, that's to synchronize right. with and it, I yeah. think what he looked at was, yeah. and, and he's still a, an enormous advocate of, is that link between the voluntary sector and communities yeah. and their health and well-being. And I think what social prescribing is yeah. is, is there to kind of look at yeah. is how do you make that connection for people? How do you make the connection between the, the, that individual who's going to their GP, maybe struggling with a mental health issue, physical health issue, and the, the community that is there around them, how can we connect them up and use those assets, that yeah. thing, to help them to... Were you, again, just a question that sort of sprang in my mind, but were you aware of any resistance from the medical field to that? Did they feel that maybe, well, this is not really us, we're strictly kind of medicine-based? Was there feeling that, I don't know, they didn't want to look too sort of, I don't know, hippie-ish by prescribing other things? Or yeah, I think... I think was there any is... resistance at all, maybe? I think, uh, so it started off with, as, a, as a small pilot project right. that, that kind of looked at it yeah. um, and then it's kind of expanded into the long-term conditions service that we now kind of right. deliver in the West End and, and, and other bits of Newcastle. Um, but yes, I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that you know, in some cases still mm. there's, um, mm. it's not how uh, medical practitioners are necessarily yeah. educated, yeah. You're, you're educated to yeah. think about the, the, uh, the Pill or the because you were given an example before, weren't you? About a client that went to GP expecting or wanting maybe a prescription for some sort of medicine, but was given something else, and they were yeah. a bit surprised by that, weren't they? It can be, it can be, uh, it's a different way of thinking, mm. both for uh, some medics who yeah. might not be used to thinking that way, yeah. but also for the patient as well mm. who might be wondering exactly what this thing is, what is yeah. this thing, why Why can't I just get a pill to, yeah, to yeah. solve it and we hope that when somebody then comes to us they can see the benefit as a result mm. of the support we can provide. So yeah, I mean, so as I said, we I, I had the pleasure of chatting to West End Refugee Service, another West End project is the Scotswood Garden and you were telling me before Rosie that you sort of helped people along and, and they collaborated as well. I imagine things like horticultural therapy and things like that, the things that you see going on in it's, sort I mean, of, yeah. I guess it gets called green prescribing these yeah. days. Oh, does it? Yeah. 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 So how, how great has that been working with? I mean, it's a wonderful God. thing. We know that when you're outside in the green, you're like, you know, you're earthing, you're grounding, you're, yeah. you're supporting, you're like, body's regulating mechanisms. There's a metaphor as well about planting your seed and seeing something develop from that so, yeah. Yeah. yeah the socializing aspect you know that you, you come into somewhere that's held that's yeah. safe where there's, there's systems and processes to support you properly but you're also getting this socializing which is often what what people struggle with when you're 
uh, dealing with their, with their mental mm. and, and physical health mm. issues. Mm. And being outside is it's a lot easier to yeah, socialise yeah. with people in yeah. some, some circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been great, yeah, it's been yeah, a really yeah. great... Because another thing that's attributed to this, isn't it, is the peer support because the chances of meeting others who might go through a similar thing. So it gives the person the, the I guess, the relief that they're not they're not, in this, not, not the only one in the boat, really. There's others there. Yeah. So that corroborative, corroborative sort of peer support that they get is also benefit would you agree? I, th I think so I mean yeah. again depends on the individual but yeah. yes of course for many people um, it's, it's useful to and also share um, tips and ideas about how to um, uh, support your mental health or support your physical health your particular condition it can definitely help Awesome. Another awesome. aspect often at the groups, um, for example at the garden, mm -hmm. is you, you get a meal. So you get some soup and in some circumstances, in a lot of the groups that we link people into, you cook it together. So, so you're getting a healthy meal yeah. as well, which is a big part. Yeah, I saw that happen when I recorded over the Comfrey project over in okay. Gateshead, you might have heard of it, which also worked with refugees and yeah, the, the, the unity that they have and doing things together is, is uh, it's amazing like the Comfrey project it's, it's a very it's a suburban gate set um, only like 10 minutes away from the interchange yet you go there and it's really serene you've got beehives and greenhouses oh, and, yeah very yeah. similar to West End Refugee Service as well um, but it's great that you that you work collaboratively with such groups when you when you collaborate with them are the the, the workers or leaders there aware of what social prescribing is or in a sense, it gives them another form of duty, as it were, that you're, you're sort of delivering people to them and, and they know that they've got this internal issue going on, so they might be aware that, okay, let's see how we can work with that person from getting from, from well-being, you know, A to B sort of thing. Is that fair comment as well, would you say? Yeah, I think increasingly those voluntary sexual organisations that support people do know about social prescribing right. and, and, and are aware that people are coming yeah. to them from yeah. social prescribing link workers. So it's a win-win really for you and them, really? I hope so, yes. I mean, hopefully. It's what's the difference, I, I, I hope this is an unfair question, but what's the difference between, say, a link worker and, say, a social worker? Are they... Are there as many similarities as there is differences, or they? It's interesting you should say that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there is some crossover yeah. in social work. Absolutely. Um, you know, with, with link workers having more of an understanding or kind of put on the ground and sort of where we can link people into, mm -hmm. uh, rather than than getting overly involved like social work might. Um, but but there is there is crossover and similarities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that nicely rounds off this podcast. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you. Especially Rosie, as we were trying to get this together and finally we did, so it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I'm so glad we made it happen. And I know that you had to shoot off really soon, Simon, so thank you for your time as well. No problem at all. Thanks for having but, us. But, um, yeah, good luck to each of you and good luck to Ways to Wellness and let's let's hope for more networking because, yeah, and social prescribing, yeah, let's let's just put the word out there, man. It's, 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 Absolutely. it's trendy, but it can be trendy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So all that leaves to me to say is thank you listeners for tuning in for another episode of Mentally Sound. Thank you Simon, thank you Rosie, ways to wellness.
podcast series. We're here at the Tyneside Cinema, a place where I've recorded many podcasts before. And with me, I've got a, such a fantastic array of guests. First of all, some of you might be aware that Mentally Sound was at a festival at the Recovery College just around the corner. It was the Right to Remain Toolkit Festival, where I met a certain person who was from Asylum Matters. We'll talk about and introduce her in a moment. But from there on, I just felt it was really important to talk about the issue regarding the rights of asylum seeker refugees' rights, because that's sometimes, of course, in the current political hostile atmosphere, us who are very dedicated to people's mental health and trauma get to understand that and make sure that this issue doesn't get swept under the carpet. We're a very large family here and we like to look after our fellow human beings. So as I go around the table, uh, I have with me Sadia, who's involved with the West End Refugee Service. I also have Garda, who, along with West End Refugee Service, you're involved with that as well? Yeah? Yes. We have Jabreen, who's also involved with them. Yeah, yeah. Next to Jabreen is Jen, who is on with Asylum Matters, yeah. who I met at the Toolkit Festival. And it's thanks to her that we've got this podcast going. And next to Jen, we have Bushy. Yes. Who is uh, just next to me on my right. So we're going to have a really uh, insightful round-the-table discussion. First of all, I felt I feel it's right to introduce Jen first. She's involved with Asylum Matters, and I got to meet her at the Toolkit Festival a few weeks ago, and also at the um, Near Festival, the uh, music gig. How did you How did you enjoy that as an icebreaker? Was that good? Yeah, it was great. It yeah. was a really lovely day of um, kind of spoken word poetry and local artists. Yeah. Great. Glad you enjoyed, because we only had two weeks. I don't know if you know this backstory. But we were trying to get involved with the Usman Festival for a while and a lot of venues weren't interested. Mm. And that, that venue said, we'll do it for you. But we only had two weeks, so we managed to pull it off. So, yeah, as I said in the intro, it was important that we address the issues regarding the rights of refugees because, of course, in the current topical debates that we often hear on, on radio and TV, it's, it's something that's become very hostile, very sadly, but... I believe that the spirit of humanity and people who care that we something that we can address and override. If I can address to you first, Jen, tell us a bit of background about Asylum Matters and what the organisation is, how long you've been running for and what your ultimate goal is. Yeah, so Asylum Matters is a charity that is focused on campaigning for the rights of people seeking asylum. Um, I think I've got my history right that we have um, been running as a project since around 2018. Okay. Um, we grew out of um, a, two kind of amazing projects called um, Regional Asylum Activism mm -hmm. and Still Human Still Here. We became Asylum Matters. Um, I work across the region, um, across the northeast, with loads of different groups and individuals who are all really interested in kind of campaigning and standing up for the rights of people seeking asylum. In terms of our aim, I think really, eventually, we would like for me and the rest of the team to not have this job anymore, mm -hmm. that there wouldn't be a need for people to be out there yeah. full-time campaigning yeah. um, for people's rights to be kind of upheld and defended. We really want to see a asylum system that genuinely protects people, mm -hmm. that's compassionate, that people are able to fully realise their rights, are able to rebuild their lives. Um, it feels like we're quite the way off that, yeah. unfortunately, at the moment, yeah. but we'll keep going. Yeah. So before I go around the table, 
a little bit about the, the toolkit festival that recently happened. So it was in collaboration with Right to Remain Group and West End Refugees. So I understand the group's on, is it touring around the country at the moment and doing different sort of meetings along with other local groups. So how did that, how did that um, tour come about? Yeah, so Right to Remain is an amazing organisation and I think it's been 10 years since they launched um, their toolkit, which was what the whole festival was about, which is an amazing resource helping people to navigate Mm -hmm. the kind of, from the very beginning to the end of the asylum process. And what Right to Remain, I think, is really mindful of is that the system is really complicated mm-hmm. and there isn't very much kind of information out mm-hmm. there. It's easy for people to be able to, to kind of know what's going to happen and how sure. they can um, kind of make sure that they're able to try and kind of make their claim for protection the best that they can. So they were, they've been um, working with lots of groups around the country, just kind of sharing the toolkit, um, going through really useful stuff about what's happening in the system at the moment, and getting into some quite kind of the gnarly differences between um, yeah. legal advice and legal guidance, really, really useful stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's been great to work with. Brilliant, brilliant. It was a great day and I gained myself a lot of insight. Also, there were some really impressive workshops went there yeah. as well. So, um, and thanks to Recovery College as well for providing the platform for that. So, so to my left, I would like to introduce another of our guests. I remember you, Sadia, from the Right to Remain Day. Yeah. So, if you want to spend a couple of minutes talking about your, your own self, your own story, your background, also a little about West End Refugee Service. So basically, I'm a refugee now, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm on the advisory board of uh, IMIX and Western Refugee Services. Yeah. And uh, beside that, I'm doing uh, campaigning with Asylum Matters mm-hmm. over the last two years now. Yeah. And uh, it's been a great experience working along with Jen and Asylum Matters. Mm-hmm. And um, and regarding the toolkit event, I think. Um, it was very useful even for all those who have been uh, new in the system, those who yes. don't know anything about yeah. the steps and what kind of things they need to remember before the interview, during the interview, mm-hmm. after the interview, and when they got the status, what kind of steps will it will be come forward for them, mm-hmm. and all the legal guidance and yeah, yeah. during the yeah. during the during the stage of being asylum seeker to become a refugee all the steps and all the important things which are all the all the asylum seekers should know or the case workers should know yeah. all the information all the videos all the content is in yeah. their on their website any person can avail that information yeah. even those who wants to who are curious to know about the asylum system mm-hmm. how the system works and how the home office they are dealing with different stages of the people yeah. it's really useful website so that people yeah. can learn also yeah. so it was a wonderful experience for me to attend that event yeah, yeah. I, I attended this first time i wish i could knew this before because when i came in the uk I did not know anything about the stages of being asylum yeah. seeker, yeah. but will come forward when I was in the hostel. Yeah. And and there were a lot of asylum seekers over there. Few of them they might aware with the steps, but will happen next after the 
after this accommodation after the hostel they will give you a letter then they will assign you accommodation but i was totally unaware blank i keep asking different people but what will happen next what will be the next step and however i got the information i keep myself finger crossed let's go go, go through with the next step no, i think what's really great is your channeling your experience to become a powerful advocate yourself so yeah. i think that's really great and a lot of people would relate to their own stories so that's brilliant <laughs> next to sadia we have garda and a little bit about yourself and also your own experience working with west end refugee service Uh, hi, I'm Gada. Uh, I will share with you today my experience uh, in accommodation in Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, open time. Uh, to be honest, now I'm have uh, one year and six months uh, in sharing house with different uh, ladies uh, from different uh, culture. Uh, to be honest, uh, I decided from the first time I involved with different uh, uh, organization uh, just to make myself like uh, uh, busy with something. Uh, to improve uh, my mental my mental health sure. but at the same time i faced problem every time with the ladies however i didn't uh, associated with them uh, some uh, just sometimes just high but to find some people that try uh, they try to take the code from the front door and they take the key and they try to enter some uh, rooms they also the, the sharing the facility is difficult mm -hmm. uh, like kitchens Uh, the washing machine sometimes we can't use it busy with some uh, ladies use it uh, just to put socks uh, stay a long time in the washing machine also so, some uh, of the ladies they try treat other people's this house like her house and she was controlling uh, us and she doesn't want us enter kitchens or using uh, some facility or to try to play with the fridge to make other food uh, despoiled or melted from the fridge mm. and one time also is happened when you come back at the house to find someone put something inside the hole of my key so i can't enter my uh, mm. room when i try to talk with the welfare manager mm -hmm. he told me i'm welfare manager so if he's welfare manager what is his role in this uh, point Uh, because I spent all my time outside the street and I just I know one ladies old lady and I went here at night uh, to convince her to stay asleep in the sofa so the next time when I uh, talked with him and I tried uh, told him there is someone they bought something inside the hole but they didn't investigate just to try help me to move the key and uh, brought another key but also the welfare manager Uh, they have bad behaviors they stop lying to me i will uh, i'm not help you anymore uh, so uh, why the reason because there is some people in the house that try convince him uh, with uh, something wrong and believe with them uh, and they always the people this is they have bad behavior they try to bothering other people uh, and just stay in their room mm. uh, so we have a lot of problem this is in sharing home now is one year and half we living as not as normal Uh, life because don't have permission to work uh, also this is the organization I'm working also as a teaching assistant um, evolve with different things we do also before uh, video here in the cinema about uh, in Newcastle because we try to do something but at the same time uh, when you came back at the house we haven't feel we have normal life
Sometimes we feel like homeless. Okay. Just we need a place to uh, relax. Mm. To be honest, now in this now, just two days, I pick my tab to this because I'm under, under a lot of pressure, stress, because I didn't get the decision. Mm. Thank you very much. No, no, no. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story. And again, I think you're channeling your experience for good. It will encourage people to, to share theirs and hopefully, you know, through unity like we have here then we can support one another so thank you for sharing your story next to garda we have jibreen who also is involved with the west end refugee service so yeah. if you want a couple of minutes to tell us about your own backstory and how you got involved with with words uh, yeah uh, thank you thank you so much uh, everyone here uh, i was involved in uh, west end refugees since almost two years okay I was working with uh, Western refugee and uh, other. I was involved also in other organization. Since I come here, I have uh, one year, no, two years and uh, two months. I think mm -hmm. two years and two months. I was in the UK. So since I came, I got uh, many problems about uh, antisocial behavior and mm -hmm. racism. Yeah. Um, many problem. I will tell you about it. So, uh, in the first time, I was uh, in one ho one hotel, uh, his name is Closer uh, to the Airport, uh, or New Hotel. Mm -hmm. So, this hotel is very big and it's uh, so far from the city center. I yeah. have to walk two hours and a half to be in the city center. Mm -hmm. So, sometimes, if I don't have, uh, I have money, I will uh, pay for a bus and then I get back by work. I really suffer. Mm -hmm. For the first six months, so for the summer, I don't know how to tell you, but mentally and uh, stress because I have uh, a family to look for, mm -hmm. and then uh, the decision is took a lot of time. Yeah. I don't know anything about uh, asylum matters, yeah. and until now, so I still asylum seeker. Yeah. I didn't get interviewed since now. Yeah. So uh, then from uh, New Hotel, I was moved to uh, this hotel, Parish Court, okay. closer to Baika. Okay. I spent there also six months. Okay. There. But uh, in Baika, I think the, uh, it's very, very, it's a hostel, not hotel, but it's a hostel, it's a sharing house. Mm -hmm. There also we have a little problem with the kitchen, because one day, that is that is what I didn't tell uh, anyone, but I tell you today. Mm -hmm. One guy want to to kill me mm -hmm. uh, because you know what has happened. I take uh, one pan mm -hmm. to the kitchen. I want to cook something. He said that I took too much time. But just I just said because this guy I think that he has a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. So. I put oil in the pan, mm -hmm. and the oil become very hot. Mm -hmm. I took the oil and then threw me with the oil. But I just stepped down my head, but the oil is went to the wall. Yeah. I didn't tell any, anyone. Mm -hmm. But this guy, I told him that uh, if he will do it again, I, will, I should go to, to the tell, tell sure. the police because he, he want to kill me. Mm -hmm. he, this kind of behavior is happening, but no one is uh, talking about. It is the first one, yeah. and the second one. So one day, the same guys, mm -hmm. the same guys, uh, he came to to the street. He said that someone eating his food. Mm -hmm. 
you know, this is sharing kitchen, everyone, uh, we are, for example, in the flat, we have five people in the flat, each flat we have five people, yeah. so everyone buy food and put it in the fridge, okay. so everyone know where the place is, his food is, mm-hmm. but these guys come again and say that uh, someone eating, they say that it's me, I told him that uh, how do you, you guess that it's, it's me eating your food? We are five here. So I say, no, 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 you are. So that day I become very angry and yeah. then I go to tell the mayors. Mayors came and they didn't uh, solve the problem. Now, okay. yeah, now it's when it's on. It's one, almost one year. Yeah. Today is one year and uh, 23 days. Okay. Now we're stop. Uh, we don't have any problem. We're sharing everything. Mm. If anything you find in the fridge, you can come and take it. No, no, no problem. So you're in a good place, yeah, yeah, mentally, now, mentally as well. Now, now, that's my, good. That's now, good. Mentally in the sharing house, yeah. I am uh, okay. So I'm next to Jabreen is Jen, and I'm going to talk to Jen again about these matters. But before we do, Bushy, right at the end of the table. So a quick, quick sort of summary about your story and uh, how you got involved with yeah. these projects. Thank well. you, Ricky, you're for welcome. this opportunity, yeah. and thanks, Jen, for inviting me as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I came here to the UK in 2019 to yeah. study okay. as a university student. Okay. I came to Sheffield. Okay. So you can say that I'm an asylum by accident. Okay. The original plan was to study, go back to the country. But uh, you might hear there's a coup in my country. I'm from Burma. Okay. So I can't go back. Okay. And I have no choice yeah. to apply asylum and pause the education. Okay. So, so you fell into the system by accident yes. in a way, yeah. That was not the original plan, like, yeah, study, go back, that was the plan A. And then, I don't know what to do, like, I lost contact with the family and everything. So, no more money to pay for the uni and accommodation and everything. So, I have to pause the education. And then, um, I'm, I'm pretty much new to the system. And I don't know what is asylum, I don't know what is refugee. So, but you don't know what the future holds. So I have no choice to apply asylum. So like, at first I'm in Sheffield. So I'm still living in my student accommodation, but I don't have the money to pay rent anymore. I don't know what to do. So like, I'm talking around, asking around, and I found out that I can apply asylum, and the, the uni advised me to do that as well. So by this time you weren't continuing with your courses or anything, or were you? No. No, that all like, came to a halt, did it? Yeah, um, so like I was only in the uni for like a couple of months, so um, that's all. So um, I was stuck here. So at first, um, home office put me in a hotel in Leeds. So and then they moved to Newcastle. I don't know why they like moved me up more north. north. More north. So, well, I, I like to think we're we're friendly up here. Yes, yes. <laughs> I hope so. I was about to say that. So. <laughs> Imagine like no no one, a guy like no new city, okay. new environment. Uh, literally no no one in the like new accommodation. So it was hard and scary for me as well. So, uh, can contact the family, no money. So before giving the um, before I'm receiving the uh, section ninety five, which is the uh, home office support, which is um, forty seven pounds a week. Although it's not enough, I lived before, like before that. I have to live a year before that support, so it was really hard for me. 
So um, thanks to my friends back in uni, they literally feed me. So oh, imagine if you don't have those friends. Yeah. I'll be. I don't know what. So I'm you had be. a little network to depend on in a way, didn't you? Whereas it's very limited, like, little. Limited, yeah. So like, there was flatmates back in mm. Sheffield when I was a student in competition. Yeah. They really, literally, just feed me. Mm. So I was eating with them. So the landlord mm-hmm. knows my situation. So like, he, um, like he was really nice enough to like, no, uh, put me there for like a couple of months for rent free. Yeah. So to this day, I'm really grateful for yeah. about them. Yeah, yeah. And so before, even before getting the government support, I have to survive a year. Mm. So like, and I can work mm. legally. So I have, um, I don't know, friends, but like, uh, instead of like, you know, whining and, you know, being sad or stressed, so like, so I was asked around, I asking around and then they put me in a hotel releases first and then, um, they like um, I'm in Newcastle, so which is a great city. And then the housing manager like introduced me uh, to an organization called Words. Yeah. So it's like okay, you can go there, and like I'll do anything <laughs> to see some other people and talk. Yeah, yeah. So I literally know no one. Yeah. So I go to I go to Words, yeah. and then oh. They are really nice and friendly people, and through worse, I, I'm getting in touch with so many others organizations like the Crossings, uh, yeah, and yeah. Um, and then and met this amazing, beautiful people. <laughs> so that that's you can say that words keep me sane. Absolutely, yeah. So even like without those, I'm gonna be. I don't know what I'm gonna be. Yeah. You know, like that's a lot. Knows no one. Knows nowhere to go have no money to eat and then like I've got rejected once asylum so at that time I didn't get any lawyer as well so even so you know finding a legal aid lawyer it's uh, it's difficult for me as well so you know a guy who came to study and can work stuck for three years but now I got the status but I have to prepare a lot, you know, to get yeah. into that lifestyle because yeah. for three years mm-hmm. I've done nothing, just eat and sleep. So that laziness lifestyle is like <laughs> starting yeah. to get on me as well. Yeah. So I need to like get back out there. So like it might take some. Because time. I think being wanting to be productive is is good for the mind. You wanted to. Yeah. Because yeah, like I, things, yeah. you know, I try to be productive, yeah. but it's been years. Yeah. Twenty four hours without a job, mm-hmm. nothing. No friends to go around, nowhere to go, no one to talk to. So it was just me. I even started to hate my hobbies as well. Because <laughs> I'm doing my hobbies a lot, like reading, singing, watching movies. You sing, do you? I, I do, I do. Oh, right. I do okay. sing. Like, we, m- we might get onto that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, so like uh, I, uh, the community that I mentioned, the Crossings. Yeah, I know of the Crossings band. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Sing, sing there regularly. Oh, so like, um, they, we even had a group called Artist Development, like right. which like um, develop the artistic skills. Yeah. So I do busk around. So like when I was doing, uh, like I can't work like while I'm waiting in Sheffield. So I busk around. Okay. I have a guitar. So like. I was living on that money, so I was singing around the UK. I sing in Sheffield, I sing in Leeds, and I sing here. So, like, um, hopefully, like you know, I can get more gigs as well. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, those two communities, like, um, 
asylum, asylum matters like uh, the campaigning and the crossings and words keep me alive. Brilliant. No keep me alive, both yeah. mentally and physically. Yeah. So even though about that, like, you know, I can't work, but we do, we mean, we asylum seekers have a lot of skill sets. We yeah, have yeah. different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably almost everything about me. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you again for sharing. Um, Jen, if I turn to you, we've, we've heard an array of different individual stories there. Uh, a lot of them containing things to do with antisocial behaviour, being paired with other people who've got cultural differences, there, yeah. therefore could cause friction. Mm-hmm. Also the lack of legal advice. So yeah. in terms of asylum matters, where do you guys stand on that? And how typical are, are these stories? Yeah, I think pretty much everything that everybody has said, it, it echoes with... Yeah. kind of yeah what most people who you speak to will have had kind of one or two or all of very similar experiences of what everybody said yeah and I think we're where we are now kind of nationally with our asylum system mm. is that it is not from top to bottom it isn't designed to help people rebuild their lives yeah, yeah. so everything that we've said it's incredibly difficult for people to mm-hmm. access legal support it's taking longer than ever for people to get a decision and that mm-hmm. has a profound impact on people's mental health yeah. when we're talking about accommodation <laughs> people are having people have no I don't, I don't think it's kind of that commonly known that there is no choice where people live and as we've heard it's it's often quite hard for people to advocate when there are issues happening in the house yeah. with everything else going on it can be really hard to resolve things um, and where kind of I think some of the things that we're working on as Asylum Matters is things like people having the right to work um, so that there isn't people are able to use their skills and to have that independence Um, we're also doing a lot of work around asylum accommodation and kind of saying that particularly when we're talking about hotels and these really kind of institutional spaces um, that they really are never never right or appropriate for people to be living in and kind of thinking about the way that the system operates mm-hmm. it feels like every almost every week the home office and the government comes out with a new and worse mm-hmm. announcement all of the legislation that's been passed recently is making things more difficult mm-hmm. is adding to the length of time it takes for people to get a decision yeah. none of it is focused on making sure that people are protected and making sure that people are able to rebuild their lives and that's kind of where we are that we need to things like the illegal migration act things like yeah. the ban on working yeah. we we need to kind of scrap this stuff yeah. and we need to be starting yeah. listening to people who understand how harmful this stuff is and thinking what we can do better what about providing legal framework what Bushy was alluding to there but they lack those sort of structures yeah there's a huge this I think kind of within the kind of asylum system access to legal aid is really difficult at the moment and there's a lot of people and we absolutely support that well just on the back of that point how do you this current political atmosphere has become very hostile how hard is it for you and similar organisations to continue the work with that kind of, you know, toxic environment that, that seems to want to, you know, blame, scapegoat people like yeah. seeking asylum? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for us it's just, 
it's deeply frustrating and it's deeply worrying seeing the way that things are going. We as Asylum Matters haven't been targeted in a way that some other organisations have been on a national um, And I think for, for us, the stuff that we do day in day out with our partners keeps us going. On a more slightly positive note, Jen, the, the issue around the barges that the, the government had sort of put out potential locations, and I know that two up in the northeast, the Tyne and the Tees, were up for it. You recently said, shared some good news that the Port Authority and the, t the Tyne refused it on what measures was it that it wasn't sustainable? Is that right? So, so we had. Um what was brilliant was that kind of communities on Teesside and on Tyneside all rallied around really quickly and we were able to write to the um, the companies that run um, the port. So we wrote to the operators of Teesport and the port of Tyne as well, um, saying we really ask you not to do this. Um, these things are, are floating prisons and, and communities don't want them. Both of those companies came back saying that it wouldn't be feasible to have working parts um, having some kind of a we've been using the word facility which feels um, yes. kind of erasing the, the horror of these things but that they it just wouldn't be feasible to have hundreds of thousands of people living in a working operation. And just a quick thing about regarding the 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 water aspect because you know when when they cross over the channels, and of course there's a lot of horrible tragedies involved, lots of people drowning, and a lot of people would have bared witness to that. So still being on water would just add trauma on top of trauma, wouldn't it? Which, and this doesn't get discussed really, because there's this narrative politically that, oh, you should just be grateful for what you have. But they don't realise that having something visually symbolic of what trauma was to you before is going to add to you on there. So a quick word on where you stand on that yeah absolutely and we know that lots of people have had really traumatic experiences whether that you know crossing the mediterranean crossing yeah. the channel and i think it speaks to the fact that so much of what the government is doing is just it's not about it's not about protection and it's it's not about ensuring that people are able to feel safe yeah, yeah. it's just never appropriate to be housing yeah. people on these kind of mass sites. So this has been a, a great podcast to record. Um, been one of the nicest podcasts I've recorded. I mean, in one sense, it's 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 sad to hear what each of you have to gone through. But I still feel collectively that as long as we get to listen to each and every story, that we can united, we can power through. You know, and and fight for your rights. It's something I'm passionately. Even just beyond doing this podcast, it's something that I, you know, in the years of anti-racism work that I've done. So I'm, in one sense, that's one of the pillars of, of this doing these podcasts. I get to meet some great people and I've met some great people around this table today. So thank you all for coming. Nice thank to meet you, Mickey. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. And, and let's, let's do this again, hopefully with some better news added on top as well. So. Good luck to Asylum Matters. Good luck to West End Refugee Service. Good luck to you individually. Thank and um, yeah, let's hope for some positive news in the future. So, Thank you for this is the end of podcast episode 99, a very incredible episode. Thank you all to my guests, and we'll chat to you very soon. As I say to everybody, look after yourselves, but more importantly, look after your mental health.